It's like being awake in a dream. Like watching a movie play out in my mind. Other lives, other versions of me, existing across the multiverse, transmitting a message, a broadcast. Do you remember? We're all eternal. Stars wandering through infinity on a quantum journey back to self. Are you ready? Are you ready? You are listening to Wondering Star Podcast. This is episode five Mirror, Mirror. If you are joining us for the first time, we are glad that you found us and thank you for being here. It is important to note that each episode certainly stands alone as a wonderfully profound story. However, if you would like to have a deeper experience, we invite you to listen to this podcast in order and allow yourself to join in the mystery as we follow the evolution of a single human being's soul to uncover the power and beauty that lies within each of us. Again, thank you for joining us. Enjoy. The Spirit Realm Instant freedom, waking up from the dream, unattached, liberated, grateful. I hover. Below, I see my body, laying on the floor of the pyramid, my white robe stained red with blood. My eyes are closed. My face is serene, at peace. My dad storms around in a wild, fiery rage, without guilt, without remorse. The black cat sits in the corner, always watching, the guardian of truth. It's time to go. I feel the magnetic pull and I rise. Home to the brilliant light source, celestial, familiar, welcoming. No longer an individual, but a piece of the collective. One combined euphoric energy. At home, a renaissance of the soul. The magnetic pull awakens after some time, kindling the internal spark, an arousal to embark on a new journey. I drop onto the grid, the freeway of expansion. I shoot off across the grid until I feel a release and I fall into rebirth. A canopy, green, lush, wild, dense tropical trees, the sweet earthy scent just after a heavy rain. The chorus of birdsong breezes gracefully through the jungle tops. I'm perched high up in a large tree. Resting upon a stable branch, the pale brown bark is smooth, easy for me to climb. My body feels limber, spry. I swiftly make my way down the tree. I look down and see my bare feet. They're small, but strong. My body is thin, agile, and muscular. I'm a young woman, 
a teenager. I'm wearing a faded brown dress that falls just above my knees. Lots of bracelets made of seeds and shells adorn my arms. I have braids and feathers in my long dark hair. Eyes the color of almonds. My body feels incredibly strong, nimble, powerful. I begin to run. Sprinting, I run with ease, almost gliding over the labyrinth of roots and shrubs that blanket the rainforest floor. I'm running towards my home. I see a small wooden house on a river. The river is wide, the water a murky brown, the banks muddy and slick. There's a scattering of other houses along the enormous river. Running towards my house, I'm struck with the feeling of death. Someone in my house is very sick, dying. It's my grandmother. My dad is in the house with her. Lots of family is around, waiting for her transition to spirit. I look down towards the river and see my mom with my younger siblings. She has a baby strapped to her chest. A toddler splashes in the mud, and a young boy just a few years younger than me looks at me closely. He's always looking to me for guidance. There's chickens running around, and intuitively, I feel the presence of a large snake lurking nearby. I'm angry. I don't want to be here. I want to run back into the jungle, to sit high up in the trees, to escape the sadness. I'm stricken with grief. My grandmother and I are very close. I'm overwhelmed with intense sorrow and anger towards my father for not being able to save her. I just wish someone would heal her so she could stay here with me. Everyone else seems okay, at peace with her passing. I'm the only one who's extremely upset, lashing out at how unfair this is. I'm afraid to say goodbye. Kneeling by her side, my dad next to me. She tells me to be strong. My eyes rest upon a brown book that lays next to her in bed. I'm hopeful she will give me this book. If I have that, I will know how to be strong. She reaches for my hands. She places a necklace made of brown and red seeds in my palms and mumbles something under her breath. Tears are flowing down my cheeks. I beg her not to go. She squeezes my hand and takes her last breath. She's gone. I lay my head on her chest, sobbing, heartbroken. The brown book rests beside her. I clench her necklace in my fists and run out of the house, back into the jungle. The canopy is like a warm, protective cocoon. Time passes. I'm perched up in the tree, still overwhelmed with sadness. I wear my grandmother's necklace wrapped around my wrist. Gently gliding my fingers over the beads, I ask her for strength. I come here often. The canopy is where I feel safe. Suddenly, I see a long gun. There's people coming towards the village with guns. I watch them from above, high up in the trees. I hear a rustle below. It's my brother at the base of the tree, unaware of the dangerous visitors approaching. I toss a small branch down at him to get his attention. He looks up, excited for some recognition from me. He's always following me around, and I generally ignore him and try to lose him. It's not hard for me. I'm much faster and stronger than he is. 
I put my finger to my lips, showing him he must be quiet. He's too short to reach the branches to pull himself up. Slithering down the tree, I reach out and grab his hand, drawing him up. We climb high up in the branches, hiding in the thick, lush leaves. I hold my brother tight to me, my hand over his mouth. Below, the men with guns creep closer. I see shiny black boots. Something isn't right. The men are wearing some kind of uniform. I've never seen these kinds of men before. They walk right below us. Frozen in silence, my mind races trying to figure out what to do. They continue on towards the village. We remain hidden in the tree, silent, fearful. And then I hear screaming, yelling. I hear my mom wailing and finally lower myself out of the tree and race into the village. My mom is holding the baby, hiding behind my dad, crying. My dad is yelling, arms waving. The rest of the villagers begin to gather around behind him. The long guns are drawn. Surrounded and unprepared, we're no match for these soldiers. They force us out of our village. We follow the river for days, then walk up into the mountains, making our new home high above the river valley. The air up here is much colder. There's not many trees to climb. An intense ire towards those men grows within me. I become possessed by anger, fixated on everything they stole from me. Up in the mountains, years pass by. The air is crisp, the skies are sapphire blue. I'm packing a mule to take on a journey. I have lots of supplies with me, food, blankets, rope, water. I'm going alone. I don't tell anyone where I'm going. I just hug them goodbye and leave my family behind. My mom cries as I ride away. I descend the mountain, back down into the jungle. I hide outside my old village, watching the men with the shiny boots from my perch in the trees. A burning anger rises within me. They stole our houses, cut down lots of trees, destroyed our beautiful home. They built a large stone house by the river. The leader of the soldiers lives in it. I see a large piece of equipment in the river. It looks like it's drilling for something, mining our sacred river, stealing from our land. I'm furious. I came back here for a specific reason, though, the brown book. We were forced to leave so quickly we didn't get to take anything with us. I close my eyes and see the book. I see my grandmother's cursive writing in it. Feathers, leaves, clippings of hair pressed between the pages. Ashes smudged on the old faded sheets of paper. It was her book of spells. I always saw her writing in it, but I was never allowed to read it. I'm transported back to when I was a young child. The smell of sage burning. Sitting by a fire, she cuts a chunk of my hair with a knife. She's wafting smoke from the fire, swirling my hair through the smoke. She's chanting, a spell for protection. I'm fascinated by her power. That book should belong to me. I'm hopeful it wasn't destroyed by the men with the shiny boots. I'll wait in the canopy for cover of darkness before creeping into the large house. If the book isn't destroyed, I know that's where it will be. I sneak in late at night. 
Moving in silence, I find a desk and open the drawers. I see it, a feather peeking out of the top of it, my grandmother's book. He stole this, too. Anger rises as I once again think about everything this man stole from me. And then I feel the cold, hard barrel of a gun pressed to my back. He snatches the book out of my hand and yells at me to face him. He's large, dominating, a big belly, white thinning hair, wild bushy sideburns, icy blue eyes, a bulbous red nose. He smells strongly of booze. He's holding the book, waving it around in my face, squawking about witches. He's afraid of the book. He doesn't want me to have it. He's afraid of what I will do with it. He forcefully grabs my elbow and drags me across the house to a trap door in the ground. He shoves me down into a hole, calls me a witch, and slams the door shut. I'm locked in darkness. Feeling around the space, it's about six feet tall. I can stand upright with a few inches to spare. It's not large, though, maybe 15 feet wide and long. I feel some stones, but mostly just dirt. I hear the pitter-patter of bugs crawling around. Scorpions, spiders, irritated at my sudden arrival. The big man has a wife. She lives in this house, too. She's also afraid of me. She won't even look at me. She opens the trap door just a crack to throw some food scraps down at me. I throw dirt up at her, cursing her cowardice, her ignorance. The book isn't about hurting anyone. The spells are all for protection and personal power. I'm no evil witch. If anyone is an evil witch, it's her. Days pass. Weeks pass. There's no indication they'll ever let me go. I have a rock in my hand. The back side of the dirt room faces the river. I begin carving out a tunnel into the dirt, using nothing but a rock. I dig for weeks. The earth begins to get muddy. The river is getting close now. Finally, the tunnel opens up into the water. I walk to the shore and look around me. The large mining equipment is straight ahead. Workers and soldiers mill around, then someone spots me on the edge of the water and begins to yell. A gunshot echoes throughout the valley. I sprint into the jungle. I'm much faster than the men with the shiny boots. I climb quickly up into a large tree and hide in the leaves. I don't have the book. I hear a rustle from a nearby tree. Startled, I look over. It's my brother. Finger pressed against his lips. I smile. He always follows me. We wait in silence until they stop searching for me. And we walk further into the jungle and try to figure out what to do, how to take back our home. The men with the shiny boots are greedy. They came here looking for gold. They don't care that they stole our land, destroyed our homes, are tearing up our sacred river. They only care about gold. They must be driven out. It's time to reclaim what is rightfully ours. Time passes. I'm riding on a horse. The dark brown mane brushes softly against my wrist. There's a large army behind me. We're going to battle. I am in command. People from all the small villages in the valley have come together to fight back. 
the men with the shiny boots destroyed all the small villages up and down the river, leaving nothing but a trail of destruction and greed in their wake. And now we fight back. My face has black painted lines on it. I ride barefoot, arrows strapped to my back, leading the charge. We move swiftly towards the big house on the river. The element of surprise is our greatest weapon. Flaming arrows are shot onto the large equipment in the river, into the house. The soldiers are caught off guard, unarmed, unprepared. I enter the large stone house. The man and his wife cower in the corner, unarmed, flames rapidly spreading throughout the house. There's nowhere for them to run. I haul them outside and tie them to a tree, then run back into the house to find my grandmother's book before it's destroyed. I grab it out of the desk drawer and hold it to my heart. I run outside the stone house and turn to watch it burn. It becomes engulfed in flames. Standing in front of the couple, I wonder if I should kill them. The army wants me to. It would solidify my role as the leader, a triumphant show of force. I could kill them. The army of villagers all look at me expectantly, waiting for me to show no mercy on these thieves. I hold the brown book in my hand and feel the presence of my grandmother. She's saying, no, don't. You don't have to kill to be strong. I let them go. I release them into the wild jungle, let nature sort them out. We took back our land. We drove out the men with the shiny boots. We reclaimed our homes, a victory we all cherish. Years pass. I see a man standing next to me. He's from another village. He's looking at me with kind eyes. His long, dark hair is in a thick braid that falls halfway down his broad back. This is the first time I'm in love. He's kind-hearted, understanding. He's patient with me. He accepts who I am and doesn't try to be stronger than me. I'm a warrior, a fighter. I am the protector, the commander of our army. They call me son. Together, my husband and I travel down the river from village to village on horse, making sure people are safe, making sure the men with the shiny boots don't return. We have a young daughter, Anna. She travels with us. She looks up to me, her mother, the warrior. Nightfall comes and I hop on my horse and ride out of the village, through the thick trees to a clearing. A full moon illuminates the dark sky. I make a fire, pull out my grandmother's brown book. I'm holding a long wooden pipe, reading a spell from her book. It's a spell for strength. I bear the burden of being the leader, and I have so many doubts because I am a woman, the only woman in the army. I need strength. I smoke plant medicine from the pipe and gaze into the flames. I see my grandmother. Her long, dark hair, soft brown eyes full of wisdom, the deep wrinkles in her face, her necklaces and bracelets rattling as she chants the word Chikata. I smoke this plant medicine to communicate with her. I become the fire with her. The fire has no doubts. The fire is powerful, primal. It radiates force. I am the fire. I do this often. Every full moon I come here to connect with her, to gain more strength. And every time she tells me that I don't need to, 
She tells me I'm already enough. I don't need plant medicine to make me stronger. I don't need her wisdom to make me stronger. I'm already enough. I just need to believe that. Nobody treats me like I'm not strong enough. It's my own fear that is the burden I bear. My doubts, my insecurity, my lack of belief in my own physical strength. As the only female warrior, I've always had something to prove to myself. A few more years pass. The soldiers are coming back. Someone from another village arrives on horse to warn us. They're coming down the river on a boat. We ride towards the river, my brother and husband flanking my sides, the army of villagers behind us. We shoot flaming arrows at the boat, attempting to set it on fire. But the boat has bigger weapons than we do. They're firing off cannons, blowing up the ground all around us. Through the blasts, I see my husband is hit and laying on the ground. I rush to him and hold him as he takes his last breath. He dies in my arms. Many men in our army die in this battle. I should have been more prepared. We were no match against their fancy weapons. I lay my husband's body on top of my horse. I must take him home so his daughter can say goodbye. I begin riding away, heartbroken, furious at myself for letting this happen. And then I see him, the big man who locked me in the cellar, the man who stole my book, my home, and now my husband. A pang of guilt seizes my heart. He came back with boats and cannons and more shiny boots. I should have killed him before when I had the chance. I now know what I must do. I attack him from behind. I slit his throat. I take his life. He will never steal from me again. And then I set the boat on fire and ride back home with my husband. We burn his body. We offer his ashes back to the land. I save some and smudge them in the book. Sitting by the fire with Anna, I cut her hair with a knife. I waft it in the smoke and put it in the book, a spell for protection. I must train her now. She will become a warrior like her mom. I teach her how to ride horses, climb trees, shoot arrows. She's incredible, powerful. I see how capable she is. I see how strong she is. I see myself in her. She's a reflection of me. This understanding shakes me. I finally see myself, my strength, my power. I finally see it in me by watching her, the reflection of me. To witness this is to release all of my doubts and finally step into my power. She has to know I believe in myself so she can believe in herself. Time passes. I'm riding on the back of a beautiful white horse. Anna rides next to me. Her horse is black as night. She's beautiful, strong. I'm so proud of her. We ride in the front, side by side, leading our army into battle. The shiny boots have returned again, this time with bigger boats, more cannons, and a huge army on horseback. A deep sadness sets in as I know I'm about to die. I know Anna will be okay. She doesn't doubt herself like I did. I'm killed in a cannon blast, just like her dad. She sees me fall off my horse and comes over to me. She holds me in her arms, 
strokes my forehead. Her tears fall onto my face. I tell her it's okay. She's okay. She's a warrior. Our village fights hard. After the death of their leader, they unleash a fiery vengeance on the shiny boots. They win the battle, but know there will be more to come. Anna is the leader of the army now. She's humble, but strong. She keeps the book safe. She smudges my ashes in it next to her dad's, but then she puts the book away. She doesn't do any spells. She doesn't search for strength outside of herself. She doesn't doubt her role as the warrior. She kindles the spark within her, steadfast, courageous, empowered. She already knows that she's enough. And we're back. Again, I'm Keisha. I am the facilitator and guide during these sessions, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hillary. She is the writer, the narrator, and the experiencer of these stories that you are listening to. Hi, everyone. Nice to be back here again on our what? So this is episode five, but the so fourth life on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was um, super fun coming into this life. Um, it was really different than the other ones. That Most of the other ones, I think, maybe not in Australia, but oftentimes I was coming into water. Mm-hmm. And this one was really cool because it was like, as I was dropping down off of um, the grid, I just saw this like canopy of trees, these like thick jungly trees. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and which is this part, this is something funny I just wanted to share. It was because like, I think it was like a month or so before we did this session, when I was meditating, I had this really long, <laughs> cool visual experience when I was meditating. And it had nothing to do with like a canopy of trees until the very end I like jumped out of this cave that I was in and and was like swinging across this jungle tops like like swinging from vine to vine and then like that was kind of the end of the meditation and I was like well that was weird um I remember when I came into this yeah Yeah. remember that and then when I came into this life I was like oh shit that was the same canopy of trees (laughs) um so that was kind of weird But then, um, right, so I'm like, know that I'm sitting up in this tree, and you, I think, had started asking me questions about my body, if I, if you, you know, if I could tell what kind of body I had. And at first, I really couldn't, couldn't tell I wasn't seeing my body, but I was feeling it, and it felt really strong, Mm -hmm. like, like, I was just like whizzing up and down this tree, and I was really agile, and really strong and then I think it wasn't until like I got to the bottom of the tree and I like planted my feet on the ground and then I looked down and I was like wait my feet are pretty small mm-hmm. um and then I start like my body started coming and I was like okay I'm, I'm a girl and so that was um 
really cool coming into this one and just being like, oh shit, okay, I'm this like really strong, <laughs> really badass chick. <laughs> and, um, and then I started like running towards where my village was and it was like, yeah, I could run really fast. I was definitely the most um, agile, fast, you know, strong woman, if not. And at this point when I came in, I was, I think, barely a teenager it was pretty young mm-hmm. um but I probably could have whooped anybody's ass that was around if yeah. I wanted to <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um yeah so that was a cool cool coming in experience um in this one I I enjoyed being a female in this one after being um men in the last three that we did mm-hmm. um and this chick was fierce too absolutely um, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah this yeah, is a, she's a badass. It, it's funny because, you know, in this one, I was pretty certain that you were a female because I remember you were like, I don't know, my body feels really strong. And be, but because you said, I don't, I don't know if I'm a male or a female, but my body feels very strong. It wasn't like you were like, oh, yeah, I'm so strong. I must be a male. Um, <laughs> right, because right. you were questioning it, I was like, oh, nice. She's a, she's a badass female in this one. That's like, <laughs> I, this is one well, of my, yeah, this is one of my, Sorry, favorite, go ahead. It, this is one of my favorite <laughs> ones for that reason. I think, I think it's, uh, because of when you came in, it was like am- amazing to see you come in as this badass female. It's super cool. Right. And we, cause we had both been wondering then too. We're like, okay, when, when am I going to get to experience a female? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, I did in the first one as the pirate, but like in this, in this experiment, right. um, I hadn't had only been these, these men. And so in this one, yeah, it's like, I come in as this badass chick and then I you know turn out to be the warrior. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, unlike the man in Australia who was the spiritual warrior, I am this woman who is the <laughs> physical warrior. Yeah, so amazing. <laughs> it's like, so freaking amazing. Yeah. 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 I think about her and like that feeling of being in the session and like just having that strength, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, just climbing up all those trees and racing through the jungle and, um, all that stuff. Like she, she was, she was a fierce, <laughs> fierce character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think about this after, like right after we did the session, it wasn't until we started actually talking about this particular, um, episode that you then made the, um, correlation between this one being a very, um, like similar, like this girl being very similar to me. Absolutely. And I never, I never really pieced that together because I'm not like a physical warrior by any stretch. <laughs> but you but are the more. <laughs> um, go ahead. Go ahead. Holly. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I never would have thought that. And then the, but the way that you kind of phrased it to me, put it to me, made me think like, oh, right. Okay. I can see that. Mm-hmm, because this is, um, I, I'm very much into, Carl Jung and his his work and in this one I um I love that the anima and the animus come up in this one so 
for people who don't know, the anima is the the unconscious feminine within a, a male, and the animus is the unconscious masculine in a female. And so you came in with all of this understanding prior from these prior lifetimes of what it truly means to be a male. So that that is obviously in your subconscious or your unconscious. You you already have that that knowing and a, a pretty um, solid range of what it means to be a male. <clears throat> and also, that's absolutely true. It's an, another reason why this is one of my favorite ones is because I feel like this one as a whole, and if you look at your life as a whole, the Huntress archetype very much um describes who you are in this current life and in that life and the the huntress meaning very independent definitely lives life on on your own terms and nothing will stop the huntress from obtaining her personal goals and so as a warrior um super strong self-confident and freedom is always the most important thing for the huntress and so I feel like as a whole, this one, this one depicts your life as a whole more than any of them so far more or any of them combined. Really. I feel like this is the one that's like your life as a whole. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I didn't see it at all until you brought that to my attention. And I thought, sat back and thought about it and I was like, okay, yeah, there actually are a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Um, with this girl and and me even going back to like in the beginning um when she's still living you know with her family by the river i always got i got this sense that like if she had her choice she would just be out exploring all the time and doing whatever she wanted but it was maybe like her dad maybe both of her parents but i always got the sense that it was more her dad that was trying to like rein in that independence and that freedom mm -hmm. that she so desperately wanted mostly out of fear you know that they didn't want her to get hurt or whatever right um not necessarily as much as like a, a controlling father mm -hmm. i didn't get that sense but just this like sense of like okay no you're a girl you need to be home with your mom taking care of the kids and cooking and i was just like oh hell no i want to be out exploring <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> And so, but so as much as she has this like desire for, for freedom and, um, on a certain level has this like confidence to be put out there as the warrior, she also harbors all of this, this self-doubt, mm -hmm. you know, these insecurities that she doesn't really talk to anybody about. And then, so when I was thinking about that and I was thinking about this relating to my life, I was like, okay, wow. Yeah, there actually are a ton of um, similarities that <clears throat> um, that I really didn't notice in the beginning. And so I feel like this girl is like, you know, in, at, as a child, you know, she's got this sense of curiosity. She's got this independent free spirit, but she's sort of being held back from from running out, you know, and free and, and doing everything she wants. And then everything kind of comes crashing down for her. Um, her grandmother dies. And that seemed to me to be the person that she was probably the closest with because there was a very distinct sadness that I could feel when 
um, I was talking to you about like the, her grandmother dying, mm-hmm. you know, that felt like this, like, you know, deep heartache, like somebody she was really, really close with. And it seemed to me also, it was like a, a lot of this confidence that she sought, she got from her grandmother. Yeah. And, and you were actually angry that she was dying, that your dad couldn't save her. And so I feel like this is probably the first time that you had anger come up during a death. Yeah. I don't remember if you shared that yeah. in the story or not, but I remember you were really angry that this was happening. Oh, yeah. No, I was pissed mm-hmm. for sure. And I was pissed at my dad. I directed that anger at him. Not that he could have done anything to save her, but in my mind, it was like, like what the hell? <laughs> Why are you just going to let her die? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was this another layer of anger sort of towards everybody else because nobody else seemed to be as upset about her dying as mm-hmm. I was. Like I was devastated about it. And everybody else was just kind of like understanding this is, you know, what happens. And, you know, she like went pretty peacefully surrounded by family. There wasn't like some tragic thing that, that had occurred and everybody else was just kind of like, okay with it, except for me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like feeling angry at everybody else for just accepting this and not trying to do everything that they could to save her. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so yeah, I was pissed. And then, um, and then she went, you know, after she, um, died, I remember like she had that, this book that she always had with her and I felt as though that book should be mine. Mm -hmm. And I was upset then again, that the book wasn't given to me (laughs) as part, you know, when she, she gave me a necklace that was like some seed pods or something like that. And I, I wrapped that around my wrist, but it was like also this feeling of sitting there just being like pissed that that book that I felt was supposed to be mine, like it was, um, I was the one that was entitled to it, was not gifted to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just like ran out of there and went and hid up in the trees, which was like my safe spot, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot in this that I think about, like me when I was a kid too. Um, I think about her and her lack of of self-confidence that I think obviously kind of started when she was young and how that was so, so similar to me when I was a kid. Um, and I would have all these places that I would go to. And I mean, they weren't, it wasn't like in the jungle tops or in the trees, but like at one house, it was like, you know, out in these bushes, I would just go and sit out there. And like, that was the safe place for me, you know, where I could process emotions that I didn't understand or try to just figure out what was going on or just like, whatever, if I'm pissed at somebody, just run out there and sulk and feel sorry for myself, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that was definitely my MO was to just retreat. Right. And if something's bothering me or upsetting me or somebody pissed me off, um, instead of kind of confronting it, I would always just run away. Right. And um, I also feel like that book for her in this um, life, like, so it seemed like there was a very strong connection with her and her grandmother as far as all of these spells that her grandmother had in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she had like pieces of, of her hair in that book and, you know, smudges of ash and all these things. And it seemed to me like this girl, this woman, um, was looking for this validation and this like, um, you know, like searching for her confidence externally. 
Mm-hmm. So she's got all of these insecurities and, and stuff, but she's not, um, she's not really voicing it and she's not looking within to deal with any of it. She's just searching externally for something to make her feel better, which I think is like, certainly you could equate that to like, you know, what I did, um, with alcohol. I think I mentioned that in one of the earlier episodes was like, that was something that I turned to because of all these crazy insecurities that I had. Mm -hmm. And, and those I think were formed like, so I'm a middle child. Um, I have a younger sister and she's like seven or eight years younger than me. Um, and then I have an older sister who's just a few years older than me. And, um, when we were kids, my older sister, she's just one of those people that's just great at pretty much everything she does, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) at school, she always got the best grades. She didn't really have to try that hard. And, um, we both played instruments and she was just like, you know, excelled at playing the violin. And so it was like a lot for me to live up to as a young kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And she was also really really smart and really um like she could debate anybody when she was like 10 years old (laughs) and so (laughs) and I sure as shit couldn't (laughs) and so um I think it was just this role that I slipped into at a fairly young age where it was like I didn't I was afraid to use my voice because I was afraid it might not live up to what some people's expectations would be Mm. right so i think this is fairly common for any younger sibling um also i don't know if it's like a middle child syndrome or what it is you know but it was essentially like at a young age i developed this like wallflower type personality Mm -hmm. in many settings right so if i felt insecure about my surroundings or like i you know i wasn't able to live up to whatever expectations I thought people would have of me, then I just like wanted to blend into the wall. (laughs) I didn't want anybody to notice me. Um, And so that something I I carried with me, I think most of my life, Um, I definitely like broke free of that in some respects, but in other respects, it was like, I needed that external help to get me to open up. Mm -hmm. And hence, you know, when I turned to, to alcohol, Mm -hmm. um, And so I think that was like the same as her, just like not able to see that she has all of this strength and all of this stuff within her. And she's like so fixated on having that book. And then, and then once she has that book, it's like, okay, well then she has to go out, you know, every full moon and do all these spells because she is convinced that's the only way that she'll be able to be the leader that her her village and the army need her to be is if she does these spells on the full moon. And it's like, I mean, it took her a long time, obviously to realize that that wasn't the case, but um, yeah, there's so many correlations between um, her and me in the sense of like, you know, just wanting all of this freedom and having this crazy independent spirit, but having something inside of me, that was holding me back, mm-hmm. right? It was like me the whole time, even though for most of my life, I, I put that shit on other people, <laughs> but it was always me right. holding myself back and um, nurturing all of those insecurities within me. Yeah. Um, and then after you became sober, you did the same thing with your business in a sense. So you're... Oh, I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so you created this life of 
of independence, being self, or, well, I mean, we all know that being a business owner does not give us freedom, but it does in some ways. <laughs> in some ways it does, but you created this thing because you wanted freedom and independence and there was nothing stopping you because you did create a very successful business and as that grew so did your um lack of freedom it, it ended up doing the opposite of why you created it in the first place the same as alcohol like at first it's like oh this is fun I can be myself and you know it um breaks down all those barriers but then all of a sudden it's like you can't you can't do anything without it and kind of the same thing happened with your business I feel like Oh, a hundred percent. Right. And I threw, yes, <laughs> exactly. Because I basically transitioned from coming out of this like battle with alcoholism and feeling like now I had something to prove. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like, I had basically destroyed my life and gotten myself to a point where I had nothing but like a black garbage bag of belongings and I'm living at my mom's house and I'm like 26 years old and I felt like a huge loser. And so for me, it was like, like I had to make a comeback almost, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, and, and, and yeah, I always thought like to be, you know, value, like my worth, my value as a person is, is basically how successful I am in a career. So that's what I dumped all of my energy into mm -hmm. and was like, um, you know, I'm definitely not going to be a loser living at my mom's house anymore. And so I took all of that and threw it into this business. And you're exactly right. It's like the more successful I became, the more enslaved I was mm -hmm. to that right. business. And I, you know, I had moments in the beginning too, where I could see like there was, you know, there were two paths and one could have taken me down this road where I could have just had like this small kind of chill business that would have been able to, you know, support me and pay my bills and all of this. Or, and then the other path was this path of this, like, no, I need to be the best, mm -hmm. right? I'm not just going to have this small little business. I'm going to, I'm going to start what in my mind is going to be the best around. And, and that was the path that I chose. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I certainly had something to prove to myself. And I mean, I would thought in my mind that I had something to prove to everybody, but mostly it was just myself, obviously. And, um, and it was cool for a while and it certainly did afford me some financial freedom. However, it essentially took over my life. You're exactly right. The same way alcohol did. And then it was like, I'm just like stuck in this spot again of being like, shit, how did I get here? And, uh, fortunately I was able to, to step out of that and, and understand that that wasn't really what I wanted to continue to do for the rest of my life. Like that, that certainly wasn't the freedom that I had been searching for, <laughs> but then I, as I always really truly have been, a uh, um, a person that loves to like, for most of my, you know, basically when I graduated from high school into my mid twenties, I was like moving all over the place all the time, mm -hmm. constantly going to new places. I moved to Europe. I lived in Denmark for a while. And like, there was absolutely no fear, you know, before I made that decision, it was just like, Oh yeah. Should I move to Denmark? Yep. You bet. <laughs> there was no question in my mind of like, is this, um, you know, something I should be doing. I, I don't know. That was just like, yeah, of course. And I continued that and just continued to like 
kind of pick up and move around and um everyone always called me a gypsy for a while and i think it was part of it was that there was this fierce independence that was within me but also a part of it was that i was running from myself for a long time mm -hmm. and like not wanting to face certain things and just thinking if i changed geographic locations that suddenly everything in my life would fall into place and um I realized after a while that 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 wasn't the case because um, I always go wherever I go. So as long as I'm there, there's always going to be shit for me to deal with. Right. But um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I got sidetracked there. Sorry. No, no, no. That's that's okay. I, I'm trying to think of like I I feel like that correlates a lot with when you had all of you had to flee and move up into the hills of that place where you all were. And then you were so determined to come back and reclaim your land. And I, I feel like that's kind of a, a similar thing. Um, like, like a similar, um, uh, drive to reclaim something that is mm -hmm. yours. And, I also, I was getting a little bit distracted because I think it is really kind of crazy how alcohol comes up again and again and again in these. And, um, like when you go back to reclaim your, your village, that man is like, you talk about how you can smell the alcohol on his breath and, um, it's fascinating how, how it shows up mm -hmm. like that. Right, because he is the same energy as the previous life, right? The the my dad in the previous life, mm -hmm. and it's the same energy as the pirate with the gold tooth, right? And all three of those energies, those men in these stories, were all the same body type, all kind of short and very plump, kind of greasy and gross, <laughs> and um, <laughs> all that. <laughs> keeping it real um, but they all they all were clearly like heavy drinkers and always like i could just smell alcohol like seeping out of their pores it was gross and they all um, have some kind of connection to gold which i would love for people to know that there is this 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 um string of of something with gold that runs throughout through a lot of these so this is one of the things that We've said many times that we would love people's input if they have any more insight on, like we we understand on some level that gold has all these qualities of um, to it, you know, that we won't get into right now, but it is something that we're super curious about because even this one, there's gold involved in right. this one too. Right, and. Right. So the gold tooth and the alcohol and the Egyptian father, like there's this gold and right. alcoholism. That's so gold. <laughs> gold, old plump men that smell like booze. And it's yeah. Slightly greasy. Yes. Yeah. Greed, yeah. gold, I... and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, it is fascinating. It is fascinating. And it was like, I mean, this one, there was, there was so much anger in this, in this girl. Um, I mean, yeah, she goes back to, to where her little village was and sees these guys. And I mean, at first I wasn't sure I saw this like mining equipment in a river. And I remember in the session being like, I don't know what it is. And then I said, I think it's gold mm -hmm. that they were mining for. Yeah. 
Um, and she was, you know, uh, for good reason, furious. Like they came and they kicked them all out of their homes and then they, you know, built this huge house that that gross man lived in and then they're tearing apart their river. Right. Mining for gold. Like, of course you'd be pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and this one too, like we, I, I always kind of pictured this one to be like in the Amazon mm-hmm. somewhere. And that, that river I always pictured to be the Amazon. It was like huge and, and brown and everything's like really jungly and lush. And, um, and I don't know who the invaders were or what exactly it was. For a while, you and I went down a conquistador rabbit hole. <laughs> I think it is the conquistadors because that's what it felt yeah. like. And you described their uniforms and their boots. It definitely seemed very conquistadorian or whatever you would call it when i looked up the conquistadors uniforms like those were the shiny boots that i was writing about Mm -hmm. yeah like that it was that it was that kind of a vibe (laughs) conquistador vibe yeah um but um she has all this anger this is something i just thought of too okay so she has all this anger about this injustice this unfairness that's happening right and it seems to me like she has an easier time or she's one of these people that like has no problem standing up for what she believes is right. Absolutely. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. for her having this voice and ex- like expressing this strength when it comes to helping her village and helping all these other villagers, like along the river, it seemed like these men with the shiny boots, these conquistador dudes were, were doing the same thing in her village, like all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's fed up with it. And this is again another very um, similar thing to my life um, back when I was fighting the conquistadors. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, but, but I just like for some reason it just like triggered that idea of the savior complex in my mind, mm-hmm. right? So, Absolutely, yes. I'm just going to tell a little story here because the, the first moment that I remember this happening was when I was very young. And I think I mentioned in one of the first episodes that my dad um, is a behavioral scientist. Mm-hmm. And so when we were very young, we had a woman who was, I think she was about like early 40s um, when she came to live with us. And she had a severe um, mental handicap. And she, um, when she came to live with us, had come from a group home and it was just like an absolute, you know, the group home wasn't that bad, but the places that she had been living in prior to that were these like awful institutions. Right. And so when she showed up at our house, she got, she arrived with like coloring books and she had this stuffed animal, the stuffed koala that she loved more than anything. And when she came, I was five years old and I was like, sweet, I have a new best friend. Right. (laughs) I was pumped. And she and I became very close. Her name was Nancy. And she was truly my best friend for the, like, the entire time she lived with us, which was for a couple of years. She was my absolute best friend. I adored her. And I didn't understand this at the time, but my dad was trying to encourage her. Like The time that she lived with us, um, he was trying to like um, work with her to get her to a place where she could actually have a job. And I mean, by the time she left, she did. She, had, she would take the bus to work. She wound up leaving our place and having an apartment with a few other people. And she was like, 
you know, living a, a pretty great life and people weren't treating her anymore like she was a five-year-old, right? When given the opportunity, she, she grew a lot and she, um, she found this independence herself. But at the beginning of all this, I had no idea what was going on. And I knew my dad didn't want her to have this stuffed koala that she brought. And that was her favorite thing ever. And she was really upset when he took it away from her. And I remember like sitting on the stairs, watching this interaction, kind of like hiding at the top of the stairs. And she was like devastated and pissed. And when she got pissed, like she just let it rip. (laughs) So I mean, Nancy did not hold back. And then... Somehow I knew that my dad took her koala bear and hid it in the attic. And so I would, every night when I was supposed to go to bed, I would tiptoe up into the attic and I would get her koala and I would sneak it into her room. And then I would put it back every day. And this was our little secret. And I I think I only told my dad this when I was like in my 20s. And he was like, what? (laughs) He had no idea. (laughs) But... This, this was, I, in my mind, when I think about this, this is like literally the beginning of the savior complex. Mm-hmm. So like me as a kid, I would never, ever have had the balls to speak up for myself, mm-hmm. right? If it was my koala bear in the attic, I would never have the courage to go up and get it for myself. Right. Um, but if it was for somebody else, like nothing would stand in my way of helping somebody else. Mm -hmm. And this is the moment where all of that began. And I feel like there's a very, very strong connection between um, how that girl operated and helping other people and not really addressing her own Mm -hmm. stuff. And like the problem is that when you do that, then you have all this anger that starts to grow within you because, I mean, that's what happens to us wallflowers, right? It's like, I never spoke my mind. I never said how I was feeling. I'd be the first to jump up and, you know, scream in someone's face about any injustice that was happening against any other person. But if it was happening against me, it would be like silence. Mm. So I think that's pretty fascinating. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Nancy was an incredible, it was like a really an incredible experience to have in my life. Very mm-hmm very strange, strange moments at the time, <laughs> in some certain situations. But I mean, she was, she, what a gift for me to have her in my life. So that was my little nod to Nancy. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Well, also, um, I don't know if you've shared this before, but I was thinking about with this one, how, what caused you to be that way? Like this inability to, or unwillingness to stick up for yourself and, I, do you want to share a little bit about you, how you were in the car accident and you had this scar and you had, that was one of the first. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Because this happened, I think right before Nancy right. came. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. So <clears throat> there, when I was, I, so it, I was five. So maybe Nancy came when I was like six, mm-hmm. whatever. Sometime in this young, um, young years of my life, we, I was with my family, we were in a very bad car accident and, um, we were hit by a woman who was drunk and, um, everybody else, it was like my mom and my dad in the front seat. My mom was pregnant with my younger sister. Fortunately, she was fine. And my older sister and I in the back seat. and everybody else had some injuries, but nothing too crazy. Um, but I sliced my head open. And the interesting thing about it is like there was no broken glass. 
right? So I didn't like cut my head on the, um, you know, like glass from the window. What my mom told me, I was talking to her about this recently because I was just, <clears throat> I don't want to give too much away, but there's a few episodes down, this sort of comes up again. But um, so I'm talking to her about it, like asking her for more details because I don't remember much about it. Um, and I was like, okay, so how the hell did I, like I have over a hundred stitches across my forehead from this and there's no broken glass. So I'm like, well, what, what the hell happened? It turns out the force of the car, like this woman, we were going across a bridge and this woman just comes into our lane and hits us head on. So my mom's trying to slam on the brakes, right? But there's nowhere for us to go because we're on a bridge. And so she hits us this like full force, you know, this crazy impact. And I had my seatbelt on or else I'd be dead. Um, I, but I jerked forward and I guess like slammed my head against the seat in front of me. And just that like sheer impact of me doing that literally split my forehead in half. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? It is Isn't that crazy. crazy. It absolutely is. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't remember that. I remember like waking up and, um, a few seconds here and there, I remember waking up like when they were sewing me back together mm -hmm. and because um, I was so young and they couldn't give me anything to knock me out. And I just remember seeing this like white light and just all this pain. And then I, I think I just passed out. Um, but so right after this, I'm five, five years old. Right. And now I've got this like bright red, huge scar going across my forehead. And I go back to school and kids are kids are mean. Right. I mean, I was the, you know, butt of a lot of jokes, not just at that time, but even, you know, going through um, middle school and, and high school, too. It was always like there was always some smart ass in some class that had something to say to me. And it just um, obviously made me feel super, super insecure. Mm -hmm. um, I always felt like I was like somehow deformed or something um, as a kid. And you know, my older sister was very protective of me and she would always like <laughs> fight off some of these guys, um, older boys that would, I remember make fun of me and they, they thought it was funny to call me Star Trek. And, um, my sister would be the one like ready to go whoop their asses. <laughs> it's <was> fantastic. <laughs> but I feel like it was like that combined with this, um, insecurity this this feeling that I developed just being like the younger sister of somebody that I thought was like my I adored my older sister I still obviously adore her but when we were kids like I looked up to her she was my hero mm -hmm. you know she was smart she was talented she had all these friends she stood up for me when these you know bullies came around and made fun of me and so I really like revered her and um in my mind, I couldn't live up to how good I thought she was, you know, at, at everything. And so for me, it was just better to just keep quiet and not say much at all. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of feel like it was this combination of like feeling really insecure about the way that I looked and then also feeling insecure that I didn't quite, um, you know, meet these standards <laughs> that my sister was setting. And so I just was like, I don't know. Yeah, develop these insecurities at a pretty young age. And I think I remember you telling me a while ago that one of the reasons or one of the things that you loved about Nancy so much was she was one of the only people that didn't even notice the scar. 
Like it was right. right. Like she didn't notice anything like that. And so because it was something that was brought to your attention often, she was uh, she was like one of the few people that didn't. Right. Yeah. No, she did. She wouldn't, and she couldn't give a shit, even if she did notice it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She probably so. thought it was cool. Like a. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and so it's like this, this thing that, um, you know, now I don't think much of it at all. And I'm, I'm used to it. It's faded a lot. It's not like some, you know, thing in the, and when I was a kid, it was like the only thing I would ever see when I looked at myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like I could never see anything other than that, you know? Um, and so this thing that really, I think, I mean, it, maybe it happened to teach me this lesson, you know, about confidence or whatever, but it also afforded me a lot of freedom later on in my life. Um, because this was an accident where we were hit by someone who was drunk because I was, you know, very nearly could have died, but also, you know, had a facial scar. I received a settlement from that car accident and that settlement allowed me to travel the world um, to go to a college that I probably wouldn't have been able to go to if I didn't have the money to pay for it, or I would have been saddled with a mountain of student loan debt, you know, that allowed me to go live in Denmark. I probably wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have that money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was a blessing in the end, I believe it, it allowed me, gave me that freedom to be able to do these things that I really wanted to do that have really shaped my life and given me this taste of, of, uh, you know, like that I really want to continue to explore the world. Um, so that is but it was so, tough. It was uh, all, <laughs> all I can think about right now is like, you have this scar, like this, uh, like symbol of being a warrior in a sense. Right. And, right. And this whole thing allows you freedom. It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. I never, I never really thought about, uh, thought about it like that before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the end, that's exactly what it did. It was, it, it gave me all this, this freedom to be able to experience things and set me on a path of understanding, like, this is what I want out of life. I want to see the world. I want to experience new cultures and, um, you know, try the food all over the world. All of that stuff was given, was, was because I had that money to be able to do that when I was, when I was like 18, I couldn't touch the money until I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom had a certain level of control over it. So I didn't just like blow it all at once. But I was, I've never been the kind of person to like, oh, go buy a fancy car or anything, like spend money on jewelry or anything like that. Like I want experiences right. over material items. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but. Okay. How about, how about your daughter in this one? Let's talk about her a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. The can I can I just make one other real of quick course. comment before we move on to that? Yeah. But you and I have talked about this and I just want to say one thing that we thought was was very interesting about this. So if you remember in that the Africa life, that first life on planet Earth mm-hmm. where I see this woman who I'm convinced is a witch. Right. right. Yes. And so in this one I think it's pretty interesting that now it's like I'm in that role. Right. Mm-hmm. Where these people think that I'm a witch. And so they lock me in the basement 
and uh, I'm in there just like what the hell I'm not a witch right yeah. like the the book is for I say it's like for you know spells of protection and empower, self-empowerment and stuff like that and so I just think it's funny like the role reversal Absolutely. which you'll see more and more of as we go through these but mm-hmm. it was like and this one I am that witch Absolutely. with the red eyes like to that man and his scaredy cat wife who trapped me in the basement right you know i'm i'm the witch with the searing red eyes absolutely um, so i just wanted to to throw that out there yeah but, um yeah so i mean i guess this is like why we named it mirror mirror right um it's obviously i think a mirror of my life mm-hmm. currently mm-hmm. so there's that mm-hmm. but then to me it like when i was writing this and thinking about it more it was like um the daughter is obviously the mirror that I needed in order to be able to see who I am. Mm-hmm. It was like, once I see my daughter and I'm like admiring all of the strength and this courage and this wisdom that's within her, it was literally like suddenly a mirror being hold up, held up in front of my face. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there finally then like seeing myself and it was like, wait, oh shit, <laughs> that's yeah. me. Right. And, so I think it's just like, I mean, that's truly what every relationship is, is a mirror mm-hmm. for us. And, um, so, but in this one, it was like, um, I don't remember if I, I, I don't think I said this to you until we were out of the session when you were talking to the subconscious mind that I realized who my daughter was. Yeah, that was, in, that was in the subconscious when I... When I asked you if anybody felt familiar, you recognized your daughter right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My daughter um, was my niece, mm-hmm. Bella. Yeah. Um, and when I made that connection, I just started like sobbing. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And my my niece, Bella, and I have a, have a very close relationship. Um, I lived with her. She's my younger sister's daughter and my younger sister is a single mom. So um, I lived with her and Bella when Bella was very young and I was sort of like clawing my way out of my, um, the hole that I had dug myself in (laughs) and with my addiction and stuff. And so I was with them when I was trying to get back on my feet and, um, and Bella was like barely like a year old or whatever. So I've, was around in her early years all the time um and she's just like such an incredible kid and I don't have any children of my own and um so I've always had this bond with her that has felt um like much more than I don't know aunt niece relationship if you will (laughs) just because I was around so much when she was a kid you know um and she's just like and now she's 16 okay And she's just like one of the most incredible kids I've ever met. And there's so much about her that that reminds me of myself. And um, when I made this correlation in in the session afterwards, and then I was like thinking about it, I was like, man, like thinking about all these moments right now, like currently in this life where like Bella and I are constantly mirroring each other mm-hmm. and it's crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like when she was much younger, she, she used to like to paint a lot and she would paint all of these really cool pictures for me. And she was doing this when she was like 10, 11 years old and she would give them to me. And 
she would be like, oh, it's not good. You don't, you don't have to keep it if you don't. And I was like, no, like, dude, these are fantastic. <laughs> I could never paint anything like that. Mm-hmm. And she always had that like, no, no, they're not good. You're just saying that because you're my aunt, right? And like no confidence in her abilities, right? And then like the last few years where I'm sitting around and I'm trying to write and like knowing that, okay, I'm feeling like this call that I need to start writing again. I used to write a lot when I was younger and then it kind of just like fell to the wayside. Like I need to start writing. And then it was like the same, I was having the same reaction as Bella was having. It was like, no, it's like, it's not good enough. Right. You know, I don't want anybody to read this. It's not good. And, and then at the same time, Bella starts writing her, she's, become like really into writing in the last few years and she's absolutely incredible and I'm not saying that because I'm her aunt (laughs) see like I've read you some of the stuff yeah that she's written and it's like it blows my mind and I'll tell but but it's like the same reaction I'll tell her like that's so good she's like oh I don't know it's like no no you are amazing and then and so like I think about that and like all of my reactions to her and it's like, well, how come I never have that about myself, right? You know, how come I never have that that confidence in myself? I can always recognize whenever when somebody else is doing something um, creative and expressing themselves well, right? But when it comes to me doing it, I guess this is a pretty universal thing for many people too, right? It's like we're our own worst critics, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, but it was almost like the second I sort of approached it from that, like, like no, I, I do have the ability to do this. Like mm-hmm. the same creative spark that's in all these other people does lie within me. I just need to get the hell out of my own way. And uh I have to Let that shit thrive. Yeah, I have to ask you this because this is just coming coming to me right now, and it's total. It's I, I remember Bella made you a birthday card right after your first session, sometime around there. And yep. And what was it that you and your sister called each other when you were little? Me and Emily. No, you. Yes, yes. You. It. It said happy birthday, and it said a nickname that the two of you would call each other and it had something to do with the pirate life. <laughs> I thought at first I thought you were going to say Howie because everybody calls me Howie mm-hmm. because of Bella, but no, no, it was boat. Boat. <laughs> yes. I remember. I remember it was shortly after the first session. I think it was like a week or two later, wasn't it? And this is, yeah, because it was like right around my birthday that we did the first session. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this is just now coming back to me where I remember sitting at the at the pick at the table outside on your porch. We were having a birthday dinner for you, and Bella made you this birthday card, and her the, and she drew this really cool drawing on it, and it said "Happy <laughs> yes. Birthday Boat." And I just remember being like, what the hell is this? I thought it had to do with the session. And then you said, no, this is what you and Emily used to call each other when you were little. And I was like, how is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. Really? We were super weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's but if you weird. think about it, it's kind of creepy, honestly, that like, where would you come up with boat and 
you know. Uh, honestly. Anyhow. Right. Yeah, exactly. On the, on the pirate ship with my sister. Right. You know. Yeah. So that was a little <laughs> off topic. Off. But I just, I was just literally reminded of it in this moment. And I was like, gosh, I forgot oh, all shit. about that. Yeah. Because of that birthday card that Bella made for you. I thought it was adorable. I think yeah. that you should. And so, so with that being said, I really think, do you want to share the, the poem that she wrote recently about the color purple? I, I am going to share this. I have. She has granted me her uh, permission and it's just a few lines. And it was like another one of those things where like I read this and I was just like, what the like how everything is connected. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. I'm just going to read it and then we'll talk about it. Okay. It's, It's pretty short. Okay. It's just called it's the name of it is purple. Purple is lilacs, lavender and plums. Purple is sitting, breathing and relaxing. Purple is calm peace and stillness purple is wind rain and silence purple is sweet raspberries and blueberries purple is soft velvet and plush purple is the belief that anything is possible purple inspires me to connect with the world purple is a state of mind <laughs> and she sends me this like right after we're talking about the purple orb too. Right. And I was like, what? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Those last few lines, I just kept, I'm like, purple is the belief that anything is possible. Purple is a state yeah. of mind. Purple so, is a state of mind. Yeah. So just a reminder, um, in your first life on planet earth, you, you were at, you were the purple orb. Right. And you became yep. first. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just a little reminder for people. Yep. And awareness that I am nothing and I am everything. Yeah. I mean, was, what the hell? It's crazy. Right. I know. <laughs> I know. And so, mirror, mirror. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's like, it's really really cool for me to look at this and see a this like even deeper connection with Bella mm-hmm. um and um to be able to hopefully like you know she'll get to a place sooner than I was where she is able to see the all of that like power and creativity and all of the stuff that lies within her mm-hmm. and she um hopefully will be able to embrace that and you know welcome it and nurture it at a younger age than me um because it truly always is our own selves that hold us back right everybody and it's so much easier to see all these talents and, and these you know gifts and other people but we're always the last people to see it in ourselves or at least I was. I don't know. Maybe some people can see that shit at an early age. But I sure think it's pretty it. fair to, to say most people don't. And I, I think it's amazing cause to, because to me it's like in that lifetime, Bella was reminding you of the power within your own self. And, and so in this mm-hmm. lifetime, you're, you're doing the same for her. I think yeah. it's truly yeah. amazing. And I also thought yeah. it was pretty interesting that you had this pure white horse and she had this pure black horse which is mm-hmm. truly amazing um yeah yeah the yin and the yang or yang the or, yin and the yeah. yang yeah yep mm-hmm. so yeah. so cool 
really it yeah. all is <laughs> it's crazy how how there's so many like bizarre synchronicities as we go throughout all of this it's pretty awesome um yeah yeah i mean okay is there anything else that you want to mention about this uh this life this mirror mirror i think actually as i'm saying that i'm just going to throw one more thing out there just because it popped into my head and i i kind of want to just take note of this as we go through some of these it's like we talked about in the Africa in the first life on planet Earth when I was the in Africa or the shaman or whatever, and I had that wife that I said um, I didn't really have any kind of a strong feeling about, right? Even though I was telling you in the session, like I loved her and she was great and she was beautiful and all, all these things, I had no feeling attached to her, and that's the same situation in this life with this husband. Right. That's in it was like, I couldn't really tell you what he looks like. There was really no feeling attached to him. Like the feeling that I have is that, you know, strong connection, obviously with my daughter. And then this is like, like extreme anger towards the, um, you know, the, the head of the army, the guy that I wind up then killing. Um, yeah, and... that, that was, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's pretty much it. I just wanted to take note of that again. That it's like, here we are again in this other, another like relationship, whatever. But I have zero feeling attached to that, that husband mm -hmm. in this life. I mean, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of, you know, killing that leader in the end, I think the only thing I would add is how I find it very interesting that this is the first time you come in as a woman and it's also the first time that you take somebody else's life. And right. that is a very interesting combination dynamic to me that, um, yes, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it is. And at first I didn't want to, but the dude gave me no choice. I mean, I, you know, I had to. And I think that coming back. Yeah, I think that is um, I think that's the perfect example of how how the animus works and, and that's the healthy balance of of that. It's it's so perfect for that whole concept or theory, um, because in the beginning you you didn't want to kill him and you had to um, allow yourself to be um to allow that much more masculine quality to come out in order to be able to do what what was obviously right for your village and for the people and to for your own right. protection and to save yourselves and so it, it's that that was so so amazing to me like first time as a woman and first time killing somebody <laughs> it's pretty badass <laughs> she's pretty badass for sure yeah definitely yeah. yeah that's definitely good to take note of for sure too yeah um yeah well i mean i feel like f with all that being said we pretty much um addressed everything we wanted to in this Mm -hmm. And again, like, as like Keisha said, if anybody has any ideas about the gold um, or just other takes on this, it's like um, moving forward, there are going to be a few episodes that we would love to be like almost participatory uh, with people because yeah. 
there are a lot of things that we don't know what the hell is going on, mm-hmm. um, especially a few episodes down. <laughs> so we would be really excited to hear from people about any ideas you have, like symbolism that we might have missed or just different takes on, um, you know, lessons or yeah, anything or anything in- that sticks out. Absolutely. Interpretations or any, how it Mm -hmm. relates to anyone's own personal lives or what they got out of it for themselves. We would really love to hear from people. Yes, we would. Um, All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. So we thanks everyone for tuning in and thank um, you. Yeah. See y'all next week until next time. Ciao.